in this kind of middle of the series, looking at some of our key values, like again, if you are visiting with us this morning, I'd actually forgotten how old we are. Now I think we're about, I don't know, four months old or five months old. We started in March, you do the maths. Uh, and so it's really early days for us as a church, and we started by just looking at um, Acts 2.42. What did the early church, when they started, what were their priorities, what did they focus on? And uh, we've changed gears, and we're just doing this little series, looking at our core values, which are joy, peace, and depth. And we've, been, uh, we've looked at joy and peace over the last number of Sundays, and today, uh, this Sunday and the following Sunday, we're going to just be looking at depth. And what uh, I mean by depth, that, that's kind of a code word for us of just saying we want to live out the greatest commandments that call us to love God with everything that we've got and to love others as we love ourselves, to love our neighbour as we love ourselves, to love our brother and sister deeply. And that is just, uh, when Jesus said, like, what's the summary? Like, what is the Bible all about? The law and the prophets, like, can you summarize it? He said, this is it. It's to love God with everything that we've got and to love our neighbor as ourselves. And so that's what we want to do. And, uh, and all of us outwork that in different ways. But the invitation of God is that that love would go deeper and deeper and deeper. And as the love of God goes deeper and love for the people around us go deeper, life gets richer and richer and richer in all the ways that count. And that's like what it means to truly uh, live the way that Jesus has designed us to live, deeply connected with God and having a great, like a real love for those that God has given us. And so that's what we're going to look at. Now, this Sunday um, is part one of a two-part message. And uh, so next week we're gonna it's it's gonna probably land a little bit more next week as we explore some stuff. But what I want to do in these two Sundays, because these values we're going to keep coming back to, we're going to cycle through these things constantly, because I really, you know, we really feel like this is some of the distinctives that we're called to have as a church, to be a place of great joy and celebration. So we do parties and we want to celebrate as much as we can, but also we want to really press into why should we be so filled with joy? What has God done that should so fill us with an internal giggle? Uh, and peace, we've been looking at, in a stressed, anxious, busy, stressed out world, what does it look like to be people of peace? And actually, we're going to explore a little bit of that this morning as well in this. But when it comes to depth, the angle I want to take over the next two Sundays is simply this, that everything that matters comes out of an interior life with Jesus that is flourishing. Everything. Now, when Jesus uh, lived his life, there were certain things that he did and we're invited to follow him to grow in these kind of areas. And so Cass, do you want to put up this diagram? So uh, you can summarize how Jesus lived his life in these three kind of dimensions. We've talked about them in the past and we'll probably again keep coming back to this because it's so helpful. This idea that we're called to grow uh, in the up, the in and the out. And what we mean by that is that Jesus uh, had this interior life with his heavenly father that was the uh, source of life and strength and love for him in all of his ministry. Jesus never ministered from a low tank. He never ministered from a place of lack in his own soul. Why? Because he was always withdrawing to go to lonely places to be with his heavenly Father. Like even though Jesus, again, this is a mystery that he was fully God and fully human, that he still... There was that sense of within his own humanity, he needed to go to his heavenly father and spend time with his heavenly father to allow his soul to be replenished in such a way that he could love the difficult people that he encountered. Jesus didn't just minister to well-adjusted civilians. Most of Jesus' ministry was to Muppets, to broken people, 
The 12 Muppets, right? Look at them. They're just completely, like you've, so of course he has to go away to hang out with his heavenly father to, to have that sort of inner life that would enable him to do that. But Jesus didn't just live the life of a monk. He also lived a life uh, in community with others. Now it's interesting, Jesus could have done it on his own, but he chose not to. It's always in community. This is the way that, why? Because life is rich when you do it with other people and life is very lonely when you do it on your own. We live in a very disconnected world and the invitation is that we would follow Jesus into community. Is community easy? No. You're gonna get annoyed with, you know, if you haven't already, hand on heart, I promise you, you will get annoyed with someone in this church soon. Most likely the pastor, but it's guaranteed to be at some point where you get a bit bugged, and that is why it's God's gift to us, because it, it bumps into bruises and wounds and brokenness, and we can choose to isolate ourselves, or we can choose to invite God to speak into that brokenness and to bring healing so that we can love people even when that love may not be so reciprocated or we're getting driven up the wall by them or whatever it may be. Jesus did it in community. He did life in community. But again, I love this. I love this about Jesus' humanity as a pastor especially. Jesus operated within the relational limits that we also all have. Jesus was not best friends with everyone. It's just trippy to think about it, but that is the reality. He had three that were close. He had nine that were also part of his 12 that he did life with, that he was close to. He had 72 that he was training. He had 500 eventually that were there in the early church days, uh, and he ministered to thousands. And that's why we glory in the ascension. I've said this before, because when Jesus ascended, he could now be everyone's best friend again. Hallelujah. So he's my best friend, and he's your best friend, and we can all be his best mate. It's awesome. But he did life in community, even within those relational limits. He, he spent time investing in loving people. And lastly, he didn't just live life in a holy bubble with his 12 disciples. He went into the world and he loved people. He ministered to people. He went especially to the margins. He went to the people that were overlooked. He went to those that didn't think anyone could love them, and he loved them. And he brought hope. And he spoke words of, just, uh, of life into their very being. And we're invited to do the same. And that's a tricky one because it's tricky. <laughs> it's not easy to love people that are tough to love. Just, it's just the simple mess of their thing is that it's tough. And how can you do it? You go back up. Lord, you, I must decrease, you must increase. I don't have it in me to love that person, but you do. <laughs> so fill me with your love so I can love them, Lord, because I'm about to punch them in the nose or whatever it may be, right? This is what God does is he wants to shape that within us. Now, this is the richest way to live our lives, but we really easily forget it because we have a culture just constantly selling us a lie that you are happy if you have more stuff, more money, more power, more influence. Like that's the lie that we are conditioned with in our culture. And we're all affected by it. You are really naive if you think you're not. Like we are. And interestingly, the more you journey with Jesus, the more your eyes are open to how affected you are to that lie. There's somehow they're like significance and, uh, and a sense of, of joy, deep joy, and like this is what life is all about, can be found in having a bigger house, a, a new, another promotion, more money in the bank, or whatever it may be. And like that's constantly fed to us. And we all believe it to varying degrees, and we're all slowly making our way out of Egypt. 
where he wants to free us from the slavery of that. It's the journey of our lives. It's not easy to get free from that, but it is not the truth. And we know it deep down. But occasionally, this is why church is good. Occasionally, we need a little wake-up call. Like, oh, yeah, that's right. It's not... Because when you look at how much time you're spending and how much energy goes there and the cost of your own soul to pursuing stuff, it seems like a mist. It's like, oh. And the, the greatest example of this in the Bible is the, the book of Ecclesiastes, the most depressing book in the Bible. If you are struggling in any way with depression, do not go near that book. That is not the book for you because it's a guy in depression writing about the fact that he thought if he grabbed onto something that he would find purpose and, and, and meaning and all the rest. And the, the drum that gets banged all the way through Ecclesiastes is, is it's meaningless. It's meaningless. It's meaningless. And it's interesting, you read any biography or autobiography of any kind of person that's made it in power or in celebrity or in money, like somewhere in that book will be the, the realization this doesn't actually satisfy. It's in uh, Jim Carrey's uh, work. It's in, uh, in Freddie Mercury's. In the fast, you know, Jim Carrey said, I wish everyone could have everything, you know, have all the wealth and all the fame to realize that it doesn't satisfy. Like it's, and it's interesting. We've all experienced this as well. We're like, oh, man, if I just get the Samsung S8, then there'll be, I will be filled with just an eternal satisfaction in my soul that only the S8 can bring. And the months and months of like, oh, how can I get it? And working angles with Jen and all of that. And, and there is a, a moment of fleeting joy when you get the S8. It's like, ooh, shiny and, you know, and ooh, new apps. And, and within like, I don't know, a couple of days, depressingly, at, at the longest, it's like, meh, you know, it's bored with it, you know. Because it doesn't satisfy, it's meaningless. Where do we find true life in our relationship with God and in a deep love for other people? This is never clearer than when you hang out with someone who's dying. Uh, I'm in the middle of this situation at the moment where um, a good friend of mine from our ex-girlfriend church is dying of cancer. Um, my age, do you know, I was, um, amazingly, I was down in Christchurch um, 10 days ago. And this is my friend Jared, and he's got uh, four children. And um, he rang, so I caught up from 10 days ago, or two weeks ago now, um, and hung out for a couple of hours. And he's got terminal cancer, and they've given him a couple of years. Um, he rang me on Friday in tears, saying, they've just told me I've got two months at the most. And so I'm going to go down there this week to spend time with Jared. And um, uh, he's had a rough life, man, like... It's heartbreaking because I don't know anyone that's had pretty much the worst cards dealt to them in life than this guy. Like, just real hard life. And when we were in Christchurch, he um, came out of prison and um, someone said, oh, you know, it'd be cool if you caught up this guy. And here I just want to say, just a quick side note, when it comes to hanging out with people that are really in, in a tough place, we get given a grace for them. Like, it's a supernatural grace. And so I had immediately a love and a grace for Jared, and, and not everyone had that with him. In fact, most people didn't, because he wasn't easy to love. He would lose his rag at me and did many times. <laughs> I remember, you know, he'd do doughies outside my office just to, you know, piss me off. And, like, just, you know, he was just one of those guys that when he was annoyed at you, would really let you know. And that got him into a bit of trouble over his life. Um, but I just kept on saying to him, bro, like, you know, you can... But I will always be here for you. You can bail whenever you want. But it's your call, bro, because I'm always here for you. Anytime you want to catch up again, I'm right there. And I'll you know, text him all that sort of stuff. And so we became good friends. And he, um, 
And beautifully, he decided to follow Jesus, which is just the best call ever. Not just, here's, here's the thing, not just because of what happens when you die. That is just so far down the list of wins. Jesus didn't focus on that. The reason it was a good call he chose Jesus is because of the life he experienced in the present because Jesus was part of his life. When Jesus is part of your life, he will, make you, he will cause you to flourish if you choose to love and obey him. In the present, it gets, it's heaven breaking into earth now. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That future reality breaking into the present. That's what we began to see with Jared. It is, it would, with someone that's very broken, it's going to take decades of just consistent, faithful love through Jesus to help them find the healing for all the pain and brokenness they've gone through. He, he began to experience that. But I tell you what, hanging out with Jared is a great reminder that all the other stuff that we pursue is rubbish. It's rubbish. Do you think he cares one iota how much money's in his bank? No. You know what he's reveling in? He's savoring is that right now, in this very moment, he's got family around him who love him, and he's got a God whose presence is in that very room who loves him. And one day soon, he's going to embrace him and say, welcome home, Jared. And even though he's had the roughest cards dealt to him in this present life, he's seen glimpses of God's love and goodness in the present, but he's going to be welcomed into paradise with the Lord soon. And I'm like sitting down with him saying, bro, you have no idea how good it is. You've just like, the, the Bible says, bro, the mind can't even get the head around how, and you could see his eyes like, yeah, yeah, like, yeah, bro. I was going to be like, it's, it's, we're going to miss you, and it sucks for your kids, and for, like, don't get me wrong, and, but we'll look after, you know, people are going to look after your kids, and all that. but it's like, oh my gosh, and it's this great reminder, like, it's just, it's interesting in the Ecclesiastes, it says it's better to go to a house of mourning than to go to a house of feasting, for death is the destiny of everyone, and the living should take this to heart. How heavy is that? It's like, but we need the reminder. Again, I've said this a few times. You're going to die. You know, like, be encouraged. You know, you're going to die. It's like, you're going to die. The question isn't, are you going to die? The question is, are you really going to live? Not everyone dies. Not everyone lives. And you can go from struggle to struggle, or you can choose the way of Jesus. And even through the struggle, you can know his joy, his peace, his love. And you can slowly, bit by bit, deconstruct the lie that says more stuff equals more happiness. And you can change the rhythms and your lifestyle and all that so that your life reflects, I live to be deeply connected to God and I love the people around me. And more and more, if that's the way your diary looks and your priorities look and all the rest of it, life gets richer and richer and richer. And this is the, the promise of God. The main battle each of us faces is not an external battle about, you know, something that... The battle that every single person faces is an internal battle and in staying connected to a God, the source of life, the source of love, the source of everything good. That's the number one battle we face in our lives. It's not a battle for any, like there's other stuff we battle with in our lives, but the number one battle is an interior battle of staying connected to God. And so Jesus uh, kind of talked about this a whole lot. Um, he would often withdraw draw to those lonely places himself. And then in John 15, Jesus starts saying to his disciples, he like kind of gives them the inside line, like, hey, this guess where this all comes from? And then he tells this story in John 15. He makes this metaphor, and he says this, I am the true vine, and my father is the gardener. 
He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. So he's saying, I'm the true vine. Like, I'm, the, I'm, the one, I'm the source of life for you. Like, I'm the one, I'm the true vine. Like, the S8 isn't the true vine. The Samsung doesn't fill you with joy and life, and, you know, and your promotion isn't the true life, and the size of your house isn't the true life. All of those things aren't true life. Jesus says, I am the life. I am true life. And then he says, uh, it's very interesting, he says, the gardener, so this is Heavenly Father, will cut off branches that don't bear fruit, and the branches that do bear fruit, he'll prune so that be even more fruit. Now, you've got to keep the end game in mind here. It's fruit. Now, what, I'll talk about what I mean by that in a second, but he wants more and more life for us. How does that happen? There's branches that need to be chopped off because they don't bear fruit, and there's branches that do bear a bit of fruit, but we've got to prune them so they get even more fruity. Now, practically speaking, uh, one of the branches that normally kills this whole life thing is busyness. Like, it just kind of like, I'm going to add this to my plate, and add this to my plate, and add this to my plate, and doing this. And then before you know it, your vine's completely unhealthy because it, there's just way too, many, there's way too many leaves stopping the light getting through, and it's like you're feeling like you're starting to die on the inside a bit. Like, we, you've heard me preach on this before, right? <laughs> For those that weren't here, you, you, you probably dodged a bullet there because I got pretty warmed up because I'm like, man, it's dawned on me that as followers of Jesus, we're meant to follow the pace of Jesus, which isn't rushed and stressed and like foot to the floor. If you follow Jesus, one of the most radical things you can do in this day and age is slow down. If you want to actually cultivate an interior life that's deep, then you need to slow down. If you want to have deep relationships with the people around you, you've got to slow down. Like We are just way too busy. And many people, Christians, are building the kingdom the world's way. We're called to build the kingdom the king's way. The ends don't justify the means. We don't just do things because they get results. We do it more slowly. We walk at a different pace because we follow the one who said, come to me and I will give you rest. Jesus didn't, out in Jesus' name, what's happening back there? Is that no, deliverance? No, we're on good. All right, cool. He then uh, says, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Can I just say, all of this stuff when people are like, oh no, is he talking about hell? He's talking about present life. Like, I'm looking forward to doing some sermons in the future around the whole little chestnut on hell, because <laughs> that's a little, you know, confusing for some people, and um, that's caused enormous angst, and a lot of people don't come to church because they think if your God's going to do that, then flag that, that's worse than Hitler or whatever. And so we need to really examine our scriptures and we need to look at church history. And so I'm going to do some sermons on that, don't you worry. It's definitely one that is important that we look at. But can we just put that to the side, because we will tackle that in time, at the right time. Uh, put that to the side. This is talking about now. So if you aren't connected to Jesus, you wither up. Now, you, it, may not, it may look like you're all successful and happy, but like, honestly, on the inside, you just it's like, is this it? Is this what life's all about? And like, ugh, and it just gets tough. Now, all of the stuff that you love doing, there's nothing wrong with that, 
but it is a problem when you're trying to find a sense of life and purpose in it that it was never meant to give you. We are meant to work. We are meant to be passionate about things. But at the end of the day, we are also made in the image of a God that we're called to be deeply connected to, a God that doesn't make you feel stink. There is no condemnation in Christ Jesus. It's a God of love. You don't have to, if you ever here this morning, you don't know Jesus, you can come to know him. He's not going to make you feel stink. He's going to make you feel alive. He's come to move us from guilt and fear to grace and freedom. And one of the major things that the church has screwed up is they've made everyone feel stink about God. It's like, how can you look at Jesus and say you should feel stink? He's the opposite. The only people that felt stink around Jesus were religious people. <laughs> Sorry, I'm on a rant and I've, my, my, I've got a, okay, I've got, my watch has died, hence again, like I've got all my, you know how like your watch, these days you've got to charge your watch and I lost my charger, so it was a perfect storm of time problems at the moment. All right, we're doing okay. Whew. Here we go. Slow it down, Harvey. <laughs> Preach. I'm not walking the talk, am I? I'm all like, <laughs> we should slow down as I stress out and rush through my sermon. All right. N.T. Wright, one of my favorite New Testament scholars, says this. The urgent question then is this. How do we remain in him? What does that look like in practice? And he says both meanings come into play. And he says this. We must remain in the community that knows and love him. We must remain in the community that knows and loves him and celebrates him as its Lord. It's very, very difficult to follow Jesus when you're not connected to a local body of Christ, a local expression. It's really tough. In the United States at the moment, they've done a recent survey on what they call the nuns and duns. So people that have never had an affiliation with church or the people that are done with church. And that group is now as big as the evangelical church in America. So it's a huge block of people, the nuns and duns. And what people think, especially amongst the duns, is that if I'm done with church, I can still stay connected to Jesus. And I've just done a survey that's come out uh, of, of thousands and thousands, tens of thousands of these people. And they've discovered that with the duns, the people done with church, only 84% of them, uh, sorry, only 14, 16% of them still have a connection with Jesus, still affiliate with following Jesus. 84% of them wouldn't say they follow Jesus anymore. So if you aren't connected to... Now, I'm not here to guilt anyone or manipulate someone because I, I know how church can be tricky on that front and it can be controlling and all of that. I hate that stuff. It's just horrendous. So you can leave whenever you want, all that. This isn't a cult, okay? Oh, Aaron's leaving. No, <laughs> uh, you know, yeah, it's good. Um, but I've, as for me and my house, we're going to choose to be part of the body of Christ all the days of our lives. Because even though it can be challenging, and I, and I would argue that the trickiest job in the world in the church is being a pastor, like that's the trickiest relationally and expectations and disappointing people and all that, you know. So in spite of some of the emails I've had in my time in 15 years, thankfully not for no one in this present church, but I've, I could show you things your eyes would water, right, in terms of some of the stuff I've been called. And I'm, I'm not a pivot leader, I've made lots of mistakes, but it's like, uh, but in spite of all of that, I'm going to just, I'm going to be involved with this thing because I'm going, to, I'm going to see it come to life because that's, it helps me stay close to Jesus. There have been a lot of Sundays I've woken up and gone, I don't want to go to church today. And Jen's like, you're the pastor, you've got to go to church. I'm like, okay, let's go to church. 
what if I turn off my phone and the alarm doesn't go off? No, no, jokes. But every time I come, I'm glad I've come because I connect with Jesus. And I'm, I hand on heart, I'm not just saying this. I, I as, a, as a pastor, as a full-time professional Christian, I need to come Sundays. Most, if not all Sundays, I'm like, ooh, that's right, that's who you are as we worship him. You know? And it's like, oh, that's the priorities I want to live in my life. Oh, that's where life is found. It's like the mist clears when I get together with you guys and we sing songs and we open the Bible. And so he says, N.T. Wright says, that you, you, there's no such thing as a solitary Christian. We can't go it alone. But then he says, but we also remain into that connected to that vine as people of prayer and worship in our own intimate and private lives. We must make sure to be in touch, in tune with Jesus, knowing him and, be, and being known by him. He says, once again, the most extraordinary promises about prayer, that you'll bear much fruit, accompany the sharpest warnings, that if you don't, you wither up. Stay connected. So Sunday isn't enough in terms of a private world with Jesus, an interior life with Jesus. And I'm, like, I'm not here to make anyone feel stupid. And it's like, if this, is, if this is your quiet weekly quiet time, it's better than none. Like, good on you. Like, keep coming to church. You'll definitely track in the right direction. But for most of us, as we mature and, and we hang out with God, it's just not enough just to have like a, once, a weekly meal. You may, can you imagine what that would do to your body? I don't have that problem. Uh, I eat a lot and I like it. It's the same. Like He's the bread of life. His spirit is the living water. And so the question is, what does it look like for us, as, as Paul said in Acts 17, to, to live in him and to move and have our being, to just have our lives just immersed in Jesus? And I'm going to look next Sunday at... Um, literally next Sunday, most of my sermon is just going to be giving you a whole stack of tools that can help you Monday to Saturday. Here's all the different tools I've learned of, and we're going to try some of them in the service. We're going to have a few quiet times together, and I'm just going to give you all the, some of the, not all this, I will be here all day, but some of the tools, because most of the time, as I've talked particularly with young adults, they're like, I don't know how to have a quiet time if I'm honest. What do I do? Do I put on worship music and then Pray, but what do I pray? Do I just pray what's in my head? And how long does that go for? And we haven't done a very good job of, of giving people, I think, the tools to help make a private interior world of Jesus really flourish. And the church throughout the last 2,000 years, exploring the life of Jesus, uh, have, have created so many beautiful tools and prayers and structures and rhythms that enable you throughout the day to just connect them with Jesus. And so, it's, again, I'm going to talk about this next week, but it's not just about praying continually in our head in the midst of everything. There's also this beautiful thing of setting aside a little bit of time every day to connect with his word, to connect with him, to pray. And, oh, man, you will feel it next week. I'm going to take you through an exercise that's going to take you about eight minutes, and you will feel like Jimmy Jesus by the end of it. You'll be like, you know, it's like your soul's had a shower or something. It's incredible what goes on there. So next, so if you're like, oh, where's all the practical stuff? Next week, I'm going to give you a whole, it's all practical pretty much. This week, it's kind of big picture around why this is so important. But let me just come into land with a couple of, of um, observations on this. The reason that we want to do this is because we want to come alive. Jesus wants to bring life in all of its fullness to us. He died on the cross so that the barrier of sin and death could be broken. 
But the story doesn't end on Friday. It ends on Sunday with new life breaking into the world, what the Bible calls the first fruits. And we are invited into resurrection life with Jesus. And so I've said this before, but if you're visiting this, hold on, we'll get there. I believe in a prosperity doctrine. But I don't believe in the health and wealth rubbish that's just taking the values of the world and trying to baptize it. I believe in a prosperity of our soul. Our soul is meant to get better and better, more healthy and healthy. And out of that health, we have a prosperity in our relationship with God and in relationships around us. We can, you know, health stuff still happens. You still lose your job. All sorts of, like Jesus never said we would not have suffering. In fact, he promised it. But I tell you what, when your soul is alive, you can be in prison and you can be asleep as in the case of Peter, or you can be facing impending execution and worshipping God, as in the case of Paul. Like your interior life can be so beautiful that it doesn't matter what's going on, there's an internal joy in your soul because you have lived a life where the right things are in the right places. Your relationship with God and your relationship with others. And one of the great examples of this is the fruit of the Spirit. This is, what's, this is the fruit that Jesus is alluding to that later in the epistles, they're like, oh, this is what it looks like. Love, joy, peace. Good. I, I've talked about this so many times. Can you just imagine if those three things were just your predominant experience, not the exception? That you're filled with, you just felt God's love for you. That you just like felt God's love. Like you just were like, oh my gosh, I'm loved. You could feel it. Where you're like, even if all the silly things you've done and all that, he just, you just look at Jesus and he just loves you. And you can feel that in your soul and it feeds you. And, it, and that's your identity. It's not in what I do or who I am or how much I produce. Or what, it's I'm loved by the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords. Can you imagine if that's what you felt? Love, joy. I just sign me up. It's like, I just, like, there's an internal giggle that grows because of what he's done and who he is. Uh, interestingly, in, in um, John 15, this very passage we're looking at, I have told you this, why? So that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. Christians are called to be the most joyful people in the world. And we need to restore that to our faith. We need to pursue that. We need to linger in places of joy as much as we can so that the fruit can grow. How cool is that? You like Mr. Bean? He likes the fact you love Mr. Bean. Just watch it until you're giggling is just your predominant experience, right? Now, I know that that's, but this, that's cultivating soil that enables joy to become the predominant experience, not the exception. I've talked about this before. Hamish and Andy is one of my go-to giggles. It's like, I just love, you know, if you don't know them, it's great. They're clean, they're funny. And it's like, so I listen to their podcast and I felt like God keeps reminding me, this is as spiritual as listening to Hillsong because it produces the fruit of joy in your soul. And I want that to grow in you. And uh, interestingly, in John 14, verse 27, preceding passage, peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give it to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. He's like, when I'm with you, you've got peace. We've been talking about that the last couple of Sundays. We need that, friends. Like, I need that. I'm still way too anxious for the follower of Jesus. I'm still worried about stuff that I shouldn't need. I don't even worry about if God's on the throne. I need his peace. I need to hang out with Jesus because I carry this church too much sometimes. And I need to remind myself that it's his church, not mine. And so I can chill out and I can have some peace because he'll sort out our youth group that we need to build and our, you know, whatever, and, and the relationships we need to keep going deeper on and all that. That's his thing. 
Ah, oh, I feel better even just saying it out loud. It's great, you know. This is what... All right, I need a crash land. So he, in, he invites us to come and, and remain in him, abide in him, to be with him. And we're going to talk about this next couple of Sundays, but what I would just love us to do is spend some time just with us and the Lord just reflecting on our private world with Jesus, our interior world with Jesus. And I want to underline this, there's no condemnation in Christ Jesus. But what he may want to do is, is prune or cut a few little branches that have been hindering us from getting more fruity. Fruitful. <laughs> I like, you know, if context would be really awkward if you walked into the church at that point. Whoa, okay. Fruitful, that's a better way of saying it. Um, so let's just invite God to speak to us. And Jesus said, if you hear my words and don't do them, it's like building a house on sand. Storms of life come and it gets really tricky. You hear these words of mine and apply them to your lives, it's like you've built your house on a rock. Storms can come, but you stay strong. And so I can preach my little heart out. It means, one, it means nothing unless there's some degree of application to our lives. And my prayer is that you'd hear the words of Jesus. So I'm flag my words. Lord, let's just, Lord, we just ask you to, to, anything I've said that's not of you, would that just fall away? But Lord, as we've opened up your word and as we've just seen this great invitation to come and remain in you, to abide in you, to just dwell, to be close to you, Lord, I pray that you would speak to us words of life, um, words of invitation, words that call us back to just having a deep interior life with you that overflows to a love for others and a love for the broken and the hurting in this world. But it begins with being connected to you. So Lord, we just give you permission this morning if there's branches that need to be pruned, if there's branches that need to be chopped off because they, just, they aren't bearing any good fruit in our lives, just come, Lord, and just gently, in your most graceful, beautiful way, just speak to us about what they are so that we could love you and obey you and discover the, the fruitful life that is found in you. I pray, Lord, that you'll just come and, and there'll be a greater sense of your peace, greater sense of your joy, Above all, a great knowledge that we are deeply, deeply loved. That Jesus is looking upon us now and his face is filled with love.